0: Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. In today's episode, I'm joined by nutritionist and exercise coach, Gideon Renfrey. Gideon is going to be talking to us about what happens to our bodies when we get stressed and the role of exercise in stress management. He'll be explaining the dietary and lifestyle factors that contribute to stress in the body and how using mindful exercise routines can reduce stress. Gideon will also be covering fasting, exercise through the life stages and the key nutrients needed when working out. Gideon is a nutritionist and exercise coach who runs nutrition clinics at Harrods and lectures the sports nutrition modules at CNM. Cited as one of the top 25 trainers in the world by men's fitness, Gideon has an MSc in integrated health and has coached top celebrities and sports personalities, including Kylie, Adele, Ethan Hawke, and Shane McGuigan. Hi Gideon, welcome and thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show and what a fantastic bio.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Great to be here.
0: Now, stress management is such a big topic, especially now that we're living in uncertain times and most people are battling stress on a daily basis. I mean, there are so many factors to consider, obviously, but in in regards to stress management. But what we do know that is that exercise plays a key role in managing stress and promoting well-being. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your advice and tips on how we can best approach exercise to reduce stress. But before we jump in, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the industry?
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i'll try and give it some relevance to exercise and its pros and cons in relation to stress because that's quite misunderstood Mm -hmm. yeah so thanks for having me um i guess my humble beginnings were as a personal trainer so an exercise coach uh and that was my god 30 years ago i think i started wow so immersed into practically applying actual stress on people was my starting stage for a coach and um, did that for numerous years for various different people from athletes to general public uh, and taught. And as I was going through that process, felt that there were some missing links uh, and therefore started studying sports nutrition um, with the ISSN. And then moved on along and thinking about further down the line, how could I impact? So did various other courses on strength conditioning with the ASCCC and became an accredited strength conditioning coach. And then again, as you get to that stage where you start learning more, you realize you, you know, less. So I then did my, did my CNM nutrition three years, which seemed like a good, good idea when I had two young babies at home. And that was fantastic. Cause that opened a whole world of kind of naturopathic nutrition and other avenues to explore. And so I started coaching kind of a holistic 360 approach, I guess, to exercise and nutrition and lifestyle and I'll give you some context to where that went in a second. And then finally, on the kind of academic scale, the coaching really led me down the science route, and I started an MSc about four years ago, looking actually at which exercise reduces stress based on population groups, age, and gender. So that's my kind of coaching life. That led me to, to various jobs. I was a coach for numerous years and then got headhunted in two thousand and one, to come and set up the first of its type, uh, a private members' health club in Kensington, in London. Great, and it was amazing. It was kind of a. There's a few of them now, but this was the first time that people were thinking about integrating spa in terms of physical therapy, holistic therapies, colon hydrotherapy, acupuncture, nutrition, along with a restaurant, along with a gym and group fitness classes and personal training, and making this complete 360 model so I actually worked for kicks which is Kix private members club for twenty years and became the wellness director. my job there was trying to integrate and make it all work as a seamless solution for people that were paying quite a lot of money to be members mm-hmm. and then about five years ago I opened their second club called kicks you um, which was a kind of scaled version as a pay as you go version of it still quite cool it had um group fitness classes, three offerings, one strength, one yoga, spinning. It had a, a medispa with cryotherapy and infrared saunas, which I researched quite extensively, which we'll come on to later, I'm sure. And then we had a nutrition hub. So again, that kind of 360 approach. And then finally, my kind of work career guided me to my own thing, working through some partnerships I made at Kicks. One of them was with a, a nutritionist called Aidan Goggins, and we developed the CERT food diet at Kix, which is quite a famous book based on cellular health, but got kind of hijacked because Adele lost lots of weight doing it. Uh, and We worked yes. together. Yeah, we worked together actually delivering that as a food program before the book was launched.
0: Amazing. And, and
1: so the research for that was based, I, I measured the results behind it, and Aidan and Glenn wrote the book. Um, and we, behind the scenes, were also working with another gentleman called Ben Williams, who is the head of human performance for INEOS Grenadier's and America's Cup. So he's an, he's an elite sports physiologist, applied coach. And we started working together on the first America's Cup campaign, really looking at how to optimize athlete performance. So we looked at their bloods and then optimized nutrition and then delivered food solutions via the chef with Aidan and Ben and myself. Um, and we got together as a company three three years ago and built two companies, one called Kara's Project, which um, delivers corporate, private, residential, and personal wellness solutions to people. So people like Google or the Four Seasons or Orion's Luxury-Later Living Accommodation. And we also developed Kairos Nutrition, which is our, our supplement which has just been launched, which actually was based on the premise of reducing stress with certain phytochemicals, which I'm sure we can talk about later. And that brings us up to date.
0: Amazing. Gosh, you've been keeping yourself busy then.
1: <laughs> it does feel like it.
0: Oh no, I love that. and As you say, that 360 approach uh, to health and well-being is absolutely key and um, bringing in those different elements, you know, the exercise and nutrition, the emotional health as well. So really looking forward to, to hearing your tips and advice. So you also lecture sports nutrition modules at CNM. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So actually having done the course and really enjoying it, a big passion was sports nutrition because it linked, I guess, nutrition into naturopathic nutrition for me. And I felt actually sports nutrition was a bit misunderstood as as a naturopath. It was kind of a bit of a separate entity it felt like, but I wanted to unify it because there's some really nice synergy between sports nutrition and naturopathic nutrition that actually everyone can use for things like healthy weight loss or for building up physical activity and so, yeah, I kind of helped rewrite a bit of the content and then started lecturing it as a passion project, really, because I love lecturing. And actually lecturing helped me on several levels. One, I just I love talking to people that are interested and it gives me a day to do that rather than boring people at dinner parties. And uh, <laughs> two, it allows me to immerse in the subject and understand it from a teaching perspective. You know, and as they say, teaching is kind of the highest form of learning. It really helps you understand your subject matter if you can talk about it. And so I did that and actually started teaching, relevantly, the stress and fatigue um, lecture two weeks ago. Oh, great. Did some immersive study on that as well. And I'd also do some work on the health coach models as well, doing the exercise. So yeah, some, some lecturing for CNM, which I think they've got some fantastic courses there.
0: No, they absolutely have. And yeah, we're lucky to have you on board with all your knowledge and experience. So um
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay, so now let's move on to stress management and get into it. So can you firstly explain what the stress response is and what's happening on a cellular level when we get stressed?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what we'll try and do is paint a really easy picture of it and then go down to how that plays out in the body in a simple to understand way and I think lots of people have heard the kind of analogy of kind of uh, normal stress response so tigers chasing you you react to that with your flight and fight response and then you retreat or you fight so you either fight that tiger for a short amount of time I should imagine or you retreat and run away so that's flight or fight and, um, and then you'd probably go and retreat in your cave or wherever it was and recover. So this is the kind of stress response. Now, interestingly, stress is stress is stress. So whether that is tigers, not a nice email you receive at work, whether it's environmental pollutants, whether it's under exercising or over exercising, poor diets, over consumption of food, uh, toxic, toxicity in the body. It all plays out exactly the same way in your cells. And that's quite interesting. So if we look at the top of the pyramid, when we're looking at health, we've got that top pyramid portion or the top of the iceberg, let's say, sorry, would be stress. And underneath the water would be all the underbelly of the physiology playing out. So stress is really important because it's the, usually the quickest fix to try and make some of that physiology underneath start start working better if we reduce stress. So stress, let's take what happens. So whatever that stress is, the cells react the same way. And the scientific term for that is oxidative stress. And what that is really, or oxidative stress is cellular stress, so stress on the cells, is a thing called reactive oxygen species. Okay, And that's the actual byproduct created by stress in the cells. Now, the nice thing about it is it's not all bad news. We have an antioxidant capacity to protect or defend against that stress. So if we have reactive oxygen species created by cellular stress, we have an antioxidant response to that. And we'll go deeper on that a bit later on, but that's two capacities. Antioxidants are from foods, but we also have very, very powerful antioxidant system within the body. That we can actually help to upregulate and be more efficient. And that means that you have this total antioxidant capacity, TAC, they call it. And that is how you can then buffer some of that stress. Now, stress, when it plays out in the cells, then has a bit of a ravaging effect if you're not balancing it. So I guess that the main thing to say is stress is good, important. It's, you know, we are built to take stress but it's chronic stress that means that tiger's actually sitting on your back causing you long-term grief, you're not designed to cope with that. So it's the chronic stress that actually causes the problem rather than acute stress. Stress is very good, and that's what exercise is in some foods, which we'll talk about later. But chronic stress, what happens therefore is this reactive oxygen species starts building in the cells, what I call like a kind of corroding car, that like rust. So it starts building up a bit of damage for the cells and it kind of breaks down different things it breaks down fats it breaks down proteins and eventually your dna so your actual dna within the cells which is you basically in fundamental terms aging prematurely because of this stress and that's kind of the that's the kind of um layman's look at what's happening within the cells and our kind of balance from life and that would be reducing stress improving diet adding in other factors like uh, exercise would be to try and balance that stress with its antioxidant system.
0: Okay, fantastic. Now, thank you for explaining that. You've already mentioned like some of the, the diet can contribute to certain lifestyle factors. Can you talk to us a bit about those in a bit more detail, those factors that really contribute to stress in the body?
1: Yeah, what well, the ones that actually cause it? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think, as I said, like stress response is normal. And so it's a it's a kind of life or death response, which is why we need it. But I guess the way we live our lives now is very, very different in that we actually live our lives a bit like I, I use the analogy that we live like athletes. We're very high performing individuals, no matter what we're doing. So it's not just kind of the fact that we are working really hard we're working really hard. So there's one stress. Mm -hmm. Then there may be actual kind of relationship stress at work or at home, which is another type of stress. We're then extending the length of the day we're working, which applies the amount of stress we've got by time, which creates a greater stress. We're reducing sleep. And we know that reduced sleep, if we simply take an athlete and are working quite hard, and they don't sleep efficiently, they break. And they break mm-hmm. in terms of mentally and physically. So performance starts dropping. So there's lack of sleep, which can cause stress. We know poor diets can c- contribute and that's on multiple levels. That's whether there's a lack of good nutrients that could buffer stress. That's if there's overconsumption of food. So very high calorie intake would cause stress on the cells. There's undereating, also stressful. So multiple avenues from nutrition. Because of my field, I mean, most people, it's about lack of exercise, but I deal with a lot of people that over-exercise, which is quite Mm. interesting. So um, I think because the nature of, if we just take lockdown as an example, there's so many exercise videos out there. Yeah. So as a layperson, if you're looking for a solution to keep moving while you're locked down, you might grab onto something like a high-intensity workout online and start from nothing. And suddenly you've applied a huge amount of stress that your body's probably not ready for. If you're robust and everything's in check, great. But if you're not, that actually might end up being detrimental. So too much exercise can be detrimental in terms of the intensity, the length and the volume. So how much you're doing it.
0: And would that differ per person, I'm assuming?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're really, we'll really we dig into that a bit deeper, but it's a dose response. And that's mm-hmm. really individual, really individual and then there's the really obvious ones like smoking or sun damage. They all cause stresses on the body or drinking too much, or those mm-hmm. kind of environmental. So stress, we're basically getting attacked from multiple levels. And the main thing to think about is if we're looking at that stress, it's not just the individual stressors, but it's a thing called the allostatic load. And that just means the total amount of that stress. So if you're looking to kind of like, I guess measure it for yourself. You could just look at all those stress, write them down and say, which ones are in there a lot? Like, is there a poor diet going on? Is there a lack of sleep? And when you get the one where you can see you're having the most amount uh, of impact on you, say it's lack of sleep, then you can start making some purposeful means to try and improve it. So uh, yeah, allostatic load, total amount of stress, but it comes from multiple avenues.
0: Absolutely. Now thank you for explaining that. Now we know there's plenty there's plenty of evidence to support that exercise is highly beneficial for stress management. Yeah. But can you talk us through how exercise works for reducing stress and how it benefits the body specifically?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's multiple types of exercise. So I'll try and sort of, I'll talk about exercise generically and yeah. then depending how far down the rabbit hole you'd like to go, we can go, <laughs> we can go into strength training, we can go into aerobic training, we can go into more mindful practices like yoga, which all have their benefit. Um, so first thing is that I think exercise, interestingly, is you applying a stress to your body to get a result which makes you fitter or stronger. And that's the basic premise of exercise. So I guess people don't think about it as a, as a kind of terminology, but, but exercise is stress. And so if we take a workout in a gym, a strength workout using weights, what happens is you lift the weights over 45 minutes. It causes micro damage on the muscles. There's, there's also metabolic damage in the body. So it breaks down some metabolic. So your met, metabolism, it has a little bit of damage on that. And there's mechanical damage. And all those three components then say to your body, okay, look, I need to adapt to this to overcome it. Otherwise, it's going to actually overcome me. So you get stronger by process. And that means you get metabolically stronger, you get physically stronger with muscle size, and you actually get stronger mentally, which is interesting. So actually, your mental capacity to deal with pain and the workout itself is increased and if you think that that happens over one workout, if you then apply that regularly, your body gets more efficient at dealing with those processes, so you become very very um, adapt at dealing with applying strength as a stress to then adapt to get stronger mentally and physically. If we use a similar uh, kind of look at aerobic exercise, so let's say running, jogging, it's slightly different because there's a different energy system, but you're actually getting better at dealing with aerobic fitness. So if you go for, let's say couch to 5K, everyone seems to be doing that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You start off pretty slow, right? First 10-minute run is grueling. Your body feels like it can't cope. You get out of breath quite quickly. But your aerobic system and your metabolic system start adapting to it. Your muscle skeletal system start adapting to it and get the strength to go on a bit further and get efficient at being aerobically, enduring aerobically a bit better. And then before you know it, your time increases and your capacity for your body to deal with that stress increases. And we now know that aerobic fitness, for instance, will actually, it will bu- buffer or balance things like heart health, diabetes health. So it has a real knock-on effect to health long-term because your body's getting more robust to deal with these things because it's aerobically fit. And then we get a kind of a little bit more into the minutia of different exercises. So things like yoga, there's different types of yoga, so that's the first thing to say. So if we say we're doing a vinyasa flow, that actually is a little bit of aerobic work with strength work. And it's got breath work by nature as well. So you're actually building up some exercise stress, adapting to it and learning to breathe. So you have multiple avenues where you are coping with a stressful position, maybe a tough yoga pose but actually learning how to breathe in response to that in an appropriate way, which is actually quite good for life because that's pretty much our life on a day-to-day basis. Stressful situation, faulty breathing, heightened stress. So there's a kind of exercise stress on on a mindful level as well.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, so that was going to be one of my questions about the mindful exercise. So would there be anything other than yoga that would come under that umbrella?
1: Loads, absolutely loads. It's really good. So... I guess I'll give you my um, – I've been guilty as a coach, I think, of being kind of optimal over practical sometimes. So maybe when I was a bit younger, I might have said to people, you must do weight training. It's so important. You've got to build strength. You must do high-intensity training. It's fantastic. It's really good for managing your insulin, your glucose, building muscle. But then what I realized was that people were actually saying to me, I really like dancing, and maybe, maybe I should have said to them they should have danced because that's a the thing they love doing. So I think the first thing to say about exercise is finding the one thing you love doing. Now, mindfulness by nature, all that means is that you're actually there. You're present at that moment. That's all mindfulness is. Now, exercise does that by default because you're actually concentrated on what you're doing because you have to be. So it does actually create a kind of mindful movement by itself. But if you add a layer of complexity onto that, so let's just say you add a little bit of learning, Like yoga, you have to learn a sequence. Like dance, you have to learn a sequence. Uh, Pilates, you might have to learn a sequence of movements. Then suddenly your brain is like it's doing a kind of exercise sudoku, in essence, which means it's having to learn a skill while it's going through this other stress of the exercise. (laughs) And that's very, very powerful because it means the brain has to really be engaged to be super mindful. So what we now know is that if you're doing an exercise where you're building a skill, it actually builds a protein in the brain called brain-derived nootropic factor. And that protein actually helps with cognition, neuroplasticity, uh, lessening things like dementia and, and cognitive decline. So super powerful. And also the upside of it is, is what we know with the studies is that actually, if you actually start exercising with something where you're learning a skill, you're actually more likely to carry on doing it because you're engaged. It's a long-term view. So yeah, mindful, there's multiple ways to do mindful exercise. I think it's how you're getting your brain, your body to engage the most would be the best ways to do it. So it's finding the, what we say, the exercise poison that suits you best.
0: No, absolutely. That's really, really interesting. I know dancing is, I, I, I've i tried a few of these dance classes. Um... They're really hard because you are having to sort of really think, watch, do all these things. Uh, but it's also really fun, as you say. It's um, it's something new and it's always good to try new things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been into all sorts of sports from, I'm not a natural marathon runner, but I ran two. I was a martial artist as a kid and I kept that going for a vast part of my exercise life. I did Olympic lifting, heavy weight lifting. And as I got towards sort of 45, I really thought I want to learn how to get mobile and flexible a bit more efficiently. So I started taking up yoga and I absolutely hated it. I was behind closed doors, swearing quite a lot for the first (laughs) six months, if I'm truthful. But Really weirdly, about three months into it, my teacher uh, Charlie said, "You do realise you haven't sworn once for the last two weeks." <laughs> and then, like an onion, this kind of yoga unravelled a lot of stuff that I was probably missing from my exercise, like you know, mobility and flexibility for an old bloke. And it actually helps me to do all the other stuff I like doing, like strength training and running. So uh, I think sometimes, it's exactly as you said, it's finding something where you learn it and just giving yourself a bit of time because it's not always automatic that you'll love it. Do you know what I mean? Just, uh...
0: No, absolutely. And sometimes it's sort of that classic, you know, kind of looking around and you think, oh gosh, everyone's got this, I'm the only rubbish one, you know, and um, that's not the case. Everyone's got to learn and start somewhere. And it's about trying different things, I think, because, you know, as you say, you mentioned the word yoga, and people are like, oh, no, I don't like that. But there are different types. For example, I love a vinyasa flow. In the heat, you know, it is like a workout. It's quite it's like power yoga. Whereas some people might just need like a hatha or something that's very gentle. Same with dance. You could do zumba, you could do commercial dance, you could do you know slow dancing. You know, there's there's something for everyone. I think it's just about finding what works for you, isn't it?
1: That's completely right. And a teacher that you kind of are responsive to, you know, someone you connect with, that's really important. And I think that's that's sometimes a thing. If you get put in front of someone that's given you maybe a bad experience then that's one kind of barrier
0: Mm -hmm, definitely
1: Um, and one thing i see a lot of really is yo-yo exercising as well as yo-yo dieting and that's usually down to a bad experience somewhere that needs to be overcome and then that's Mm -hmm. finding something you love and then reinvigorating it a bit you know so absolutely yeah So, and sometimes I do the same as you. I love the vinyasa flow, but sometimes I like to sit on my bum and look at the clouds do very little. (laughs) So I think it's, you know, that's actually adapting exercise to where you're at, which is quite important. That's the next lesson.
0: Absolutely. And that was going to be my next question. Is there an optimal exercise routine to reduce stress? And how would this differ from person to person?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) that's the golden question, isn't it? And I think it's really important. I'll give you a bit of context and a couple of case studies on it as well. What I've found is there's different types of animals with people. There may be your kind of um, high-level business people I've seen actually that start putting more exercise in when they're really stressed because it's a way of controlling an outlet.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: what they're finding is they've got a huge amount of stress from work and they decide to take up triathlons because they think it's going to be great because they can actually do all their exercise and escape from work for a couple of hours a week. What that then ends up being is a huge amount of endurance exercise. So remember we said this allostatic load, this total amount of stress load. And they wonder why they're actually fatigued or not getting the exercise benefits or not actually improving their times because business people tend to be a bit competitive. <laughs> um, and it's because they're applying the right amount of exercise to you know a very stressed life already. So yes, there is optimal exercise, but it is... I'll say this with a huge caveat. It's like a fingerprint. It's as individual as your fingerprint is your dose of exercise for you. So what I can give you is a bit of a look on the research I did through my master's and then we'll extrapolate that out to, you know, individual cases. With my master's, I was looking at it and I actually wanted to get something a bit sexier than I got, if I'm truthful. (laughs) I thought it would be, you know, high intensity exercise is the one that reduces stress or strength training and what actually came out as being the most optimal exercise was moderate cardiovascular exercise. And that was kind of 30 to 40 minutes of aerobic exercise where you can just about hold a conversation. Seemed to be the most uh, the most beneficial in terms of reducing stress, and that was mental and physical stress. So how that was playing out in the cells, we looked at all the pathways, all the oxidative stress. So reducing that, that stress load. So aerobic stuff. 30, 40 minutes, uh, two, three times a week. And that's important because it wasn't just doing it a couple of weeks and I'm not doing it. It was a lifestyle, mm-hmm. seems to be the most effective at reducing stress. What then happened, I started looking at age groups. So if was that appropriate for older people, younger people. So if I had a generic uh, take-home, it would be moderate exercise is that absolute key. And the consistency of that moderate exercise is the most important thing. So it's a lifestyle. That's the easy take-home message.
0: Okay, so that would be two to three days a week, something like swimming, a jog or a brisk walk or a dance class, those types of exercises. In NASA
1: flow, Exactly, yeah. exactly that. And actually, it's really the one time, and sometimes government guidelines aren't great, but the government guidelines, if you look on them now, the NICE guidelines are pretty good. So oh. if you go on there, it says, you know, five five times a week, 30 minutes plus exercise per day. They've even put in there, you should try and strength, strength train a couple of times a week. So the government guidelines, if you actually just look it up, they've got a really nice infographic that you can use. So that's that's good. That's based on a large amount of evidence. Then we get down to specifics, I think. So if you've got someone who is maybe getting a bit older and therefore naturally muscle and bone starts to break down do we get a bit more specific and say look they actually need a bit more strength training because we know for healthy aging now not just aerobic fitness but strength actually lowers all cause mortality so all types of death are actually lessened if you're stronger whereas it used to be thought it was flexibility and that's because you become more flexible you become more mobile you're able to move for better, more efficiently, and you're also stronger. So if you fall over, you're more robust. So then specifically, you start looking at this aerobic exercise, but then strength maybe for older people. And then the take-home, as we discussed from the start, is do we start putting some more mindful practices in place to reduce stress? So if someone's hugely stressed, do you start them on five times a week, 30 minutes? Probably not. Probably 10 minutes a day just to get it embedded into their actual lifestyle is more appropriate than trying to put in this huge barrier that's um, unobtainable, if that makes sense.
0: No, absolutely. And it that is all very doable, isn't it? And I think it's when you, people, they start really good, as you say, right, okay, new year, I'm going to go to the gym every day. And then, you know, two, three weeks later, they've sort of completely sacked it off and fallen off the wagon because it's just (laughs) too hard. Whereas if you're saying two to three times a week, and, you know, you could go for a walk one day, a swim, or, you know, do strength training, it's much more doable and easy to fit into people's busy lifestyles, isn't
1: it? It it really is. It's massive. And I think that's the real thing is give yourself a very, very clear plan that's small, Mm -hmm. you know. So a lot of people, I start on 10 minutes, three times a week, and they usually come back to me saying, I want to do more. You know, I've done that. I want to do more. I'm like, no, no I'll do it for another four weeks. And what once happens is over four weeks, they've embedded that 10 minutes and then they can go further. And there's some quite interesting studies around it now. That if you create a goal, it should be difficult. It should be difficult. So it actually seems that people respond well if it's difficult, but it should be achievable as well. So once you do that, you embed the next layer. The second thing I'd say about exercise, and this is a component that's hugely missing um, and fresh in my mind because I did a talk about it the other day, is there's population groups around the world uh, called blue zones where people live to over 100. And one of the huge things, well, there's two things actually, and they're combined. The two huge things that seems to actually propel their longevity or make them more robust and live longer is that they move naturally all day, every day no gyms and that means that they are by default doing a thing called knee activity now knee activity the the long terminology in the science is non-exercise activity thermogenics and what that means is that when you're moving around all day every day it does great things for your health it makes you stronger it also reduces stress And it reduces the kind of energy balance. So the consumption between food and how much you outlay in energy is then balanced. And Mm -hmm. that's not gym based. And there's been some hypothesis around this and it can account for as much as 2000 calories a day. So people that are lean, people that are lean actually just move a lot more, not even going to the gym. So that's the kind of take home from the blue zones exercise. And the other thing is they're very, very good at reducing their stress load. So, and that seems to be part of it. So yeah, powerful message about exercise is not just your planned exercise, but increasing your knee activity or your daily activity. And that's everything from, you know, gardening, brushing your teeth, moving around, walking the stairs, not just taking the escalators.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's fascinating. And yeah, very inspiring as well. I think sometimes we do, we're becoming much more having sedentary lifestyles, aren't we? And sort of sitting more, not moving and yeah, for hours and hours. Where I think even if you're working from home or working at your desk, it's so important to, to move around, even if you're going to put the kettle on, do some squats or something, something where you're getting the blood flow going, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. And I guess that's, that comes back to that barrier to entry, right? If, um, if 30 minutes five times a week is too much, you know, you can start thinking about, look, a daily walk. So, for instance, if you walk after meals, your glucose management or your management of those sugars from that meal is much more efficient. So do you embed a daily walk that has bang for buck if you're trying to lose weight because it actually tackles what you're doing with your food? That could be a smart approach. And uh, Mm -hmm. there's no barrier to entry with gyms, money, whatever else there is, you know.
0: Absolutely. And as you say, it's just starting small and um, and just building from there because it's all about achieving, isn't it? I think if you put the the expectation or the goal too high, you're just setting yourself up for failure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then there's, there's quite a lot of multiple factors involved in exercise adherence or keeping your exercise regular, trying to find people that, that you like doing it with, so kind of the right tribe, if you mm-hmm. can try and find a few people that support you in that process you're more likely to succeed find things that are, are motivating and people that encourage you to do it that keeps you doing it and then as we said earlier finding something you love these are all contributing facts why people keep it going and if it's like a like you said if it's a new year's resolution and it's five times a week and you're hating it guess what it's not going to happen for long term no <laughs> <You know. laughs>
0: no absolutely Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Natural Health with CNM. Still to come, I talk to Gideon about exercise through the life stages, whether you should exercise when fasting, and the key nutrients your body needs when working out. Are you or a loved one struggling with health issues? Would you like to change career and become a natural therapist? CNM offers a wide range of short and diploma courses, both online and in class. Contact us today for more information for a limited time you can save 10% on all CNM's short courses using the code podcast visit www.cnmpodcast.com to find out more now you've you've talked about sort of um, the life stages as we age and, and and changing the your exercise approach are there any other sort of um, life stages that we need to be aware of where we might have to modify our exercise like for example in pregnancy or you know, when we're younger. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's lots of life stages that you have to consider in exercise. So I think if our premise is we all need to move more our need activity, and then we all need to try and build up some exercise that's appropriate for us. When you're younger, there used to be a fallacy that you shouldn't do strength training. We now know that is wrong. I mean, Russians train kids young, and they end up being some of the strongest people in the world. So I think it's actually more about for young people, really young people, young kids and stuff, it's about embedding some fun into it and, and actually embedding it into their lifestyle so they realize this is something long term. Huge studies around kids that do exercise prior to exams, lowering stress and having better exam outcomes. So, you know, if we can try and sort of get this embedded young, I mean, it's crazy they got PE in schools once a week. It just seems no. mad, mad to me. You know, it's it, whereas we know that most stuff being driven by lifestyle disease at the moment is lack of exercise is a sheer contributing factor. For young people, it's about embedding it in and making it fun and getting them doing it regularly. I used to do judo as a kid with a brilliant teacher who was wholly inspiring. And I actually probably give him the credit for me keeping my exercise going because I loved it right through to now, the grand old age of 51. So I think, you know, someone who's motivating you to start right is, is really important for young people. So pregnancy, absolutely need to adapt exercise for that. But again, there used to be the misanoma that you should stop moving. So everyone got really fearful of movement around pregnancy. Um, I developed a program actually with Professor Mark Johnson at Chelsea Westminster, who's head of paediatrics, Um, And so I had to go through the evidence base of exercise, uh, physical therapy, nutrition with him and his red pen (laughs) (laughs) and look at what's appropriate. And actually, physical activity is huge. It's really, really needed. And you can actually do everything you've been doing before you were pregnant. So carrying on things like strength training, aerobic training is absolutely fine. You modify as you go through pregnancy. So do you lay on your back later when you get bigger? No. Do you do isometric exercise that raises blood pressure so that's when you're holding something still? No. But you can do stuff. You just need to modify as you go through the stage of pregnancy. And that's really common sense. You know, like you lower the intensity, you lower the weights, you change the positions a little bit. But the outcomes are huge. Like it lowers gestational diabetes, lowers depression rates. Uh, outcomes for natural uh, births uh, are hugely improved if you exercise for your pregnancy. So, and then later stages, as we said, there's there's modifications. But I think it's actually about actually. Let me give you a case study. This is a real person. We took on somebody. One of the one of the um, places we look after is called Orion's Luxury Later Living Accommodation. So it's people that actually live inside a uh, a luxurious block, and we have a gym and a spa that we run there and a salon. We had a lady who was 83 years old and we do a wellness assessment on them. And one of the things, and we'll talk about a bit more later, is we actually test a byproduct of cellular stress in the blood. It's one of the assessments we do as part of our Carlos Project Outlook. Mm-hmm. And so we tested her cellular stress and her nutritional protection, so her anti- antioxidant status in blood. We tested her body composition, which is a, a really extensive test, shows us muscle, body fat on the outside, visceral fat on the inside her waist circumference, BMI, et cetera. And this woman was hugely stressed in the cells, which means she was undergoing a huge amount of stress and inflammation in her body. She had an adequate amount of muscle, but she was very, very overweight and her body fat levels were way over normal values. So huge amount of body fat, huge amount of midsection fat, very immobile, came to us with a walking stick. And at 83, she. I'd also say this is important, she hated exercise. Like she, the last thing she wanted to see was me and my, my co-worker <laughs> to get an assessment. Um, and we trained her for eight weeks, did a physical therapy assessment on her, built some programs, added walking routines, very low interventions. We added a, we actually worked with the chefs there. So we added a little nutrition and phyto shake with lots of vegetables in it, uh, once a day. And in eight weeks, we increased half a kilo of muscle, took down 1.5% body fat. Um, she reduced her cellular stress scores into normal values, which means that inflammation dropped as well uh, and she for the first time in her life turned up at the gym without a walking stick after two years of using it
0: Wow so she
1: uses it occasionally, but she felt confident enough not to use it and you know we knew that it' worked, but this was the first person that we tested on this level and it was pretty profound and that was a little bit of strength training, walking and uh, you know a small nutrition intervention so that was eighty three There's hope
0: for us all. There absolutely is. That's amazing and so inspiring. And as you say, you know, we can start at any age, you know, you know, there's hope for us all, you know, regardless. So, um, because that's, I think that's an excuse a lot of people use, you know, oh, well, past 40, it's all downhill and, you know, that, this is normal and, you know, I can't do that. But as you say, you know, you've got these communities around the world who are living to 100 and they're fit as a fiddle. It's all about your mind. And as you say, this lady didn't want to do the exercise, but with your support and introducing things gently and doable things, look at how she's transformed her health and mobility in eight weeks. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, it's really incredible. You know, and actually I think I would add, as, add to that as well and you mentioned this right at the beginning, there was a social aspect for her. She'd been in an apartment before this, not in this block, uh, where she was socially isolated. And and we saw two women at the same time move into this residency, and they started having breakfast together. And I think that's a massive contributing fact to the fact she her social I- isolation dropped. She was eating in a really kind of a happy, healthy environment as well as what she was eating. It was part, part of the actual uh, result, which was nice.
0: Yeah, it makes such a big difference, doesn't it? And I think, yeah, in light of what's happened the last couple of years, all these lockdowns and everything, people, you know, have been struggling with that, you know, just feeling alone and isolated, especially if they don't have other family members or or friends in the house. So that's, that's a huge factor. That's why going out to classes now that we can or going to a gym, you know, you don't have to go and do all the weights if you don't want to do that. But there are so many classes where you actually you know, meeting other people and, and it's more of a social thing as well. So yeah. I think that's key.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So I just wanted to talk a little bit about fasting, especially mm. intermittent fasting is a common dietary practice now that a lot of people are implementing. Yeah. Now, should we be exercising when we're fasting? And if so, what type of exercise is best and how often should we be doing it?
1: Oh, it's a hot topic, huh, fasting. <laughs> Isn't well, I it? guess everyone's thinking about fasting after, over over calorie construction, uh, consumption in December, uh, we go the other way, right? So let's take it down to its purest form. Fasting is a form of stress. That's quite interesting. So what's happening is that, I guess, the, let's give a bit of background. We probably came from a less calorie-rich environment in our ancestral days. So there wasn't this abundance of food everywhere. We had to go and find it, which meant we had to move more, which meant our energy balance was in check. We were moving to find our food. We were eating less. That's been wholly different. We now consume too many calories. When we didn't have an abundance of calories, our cells were pretty efficient at taking care of themselves. They were in a bit of probably a healthier state. And one byproduct is is when you don't put food in there for periods of time, appropriate period of time, I'll say, the cells start doing some really clever stuff. And they go into pathways that actually boost this antioxidant system we talked about right at the beginning. So, it naturally boosts our antioxidant system. It ramps up our innate detoxification. So, it helps us detoxify. It actually ramps up uh, fat burning as well. Uh, and it, so, it's, it's powerful. But, 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 it is a stress. So, if someone's got a hugely stressed lifestyle, working really hard, sleeping, I would not put them on intermittent fasting. And I definitely wouldn't add a second stress of intermittent fasting with exercise because then you've got a double stress on someone who's already stressed. So it's quite interesting that actually intermittent fasting and fasting exercise is not appropriate for everybody. So with that said, what you'd find with fasting first and foremost is the appropriate amount of time that might suit the person if they wanted to get the benefits of cellular health. Let's just talk about health before we talk about body composition. Um, And I say that because health drives body composition. If you're healthy long-term, athletes perform better, their body composition is better. If health breaks down, forget body composition, it's going to go to pot. So what you could do is introduce a small amount of fasting. Say they fast for 14 hours overnight. So you're just reducing that eating window. That could appropriate. That could be appropriate, a bit more achievable and get some of the results with it. Like all science, it gets extrapolated out to be very hardcore. Like they say, you've got to do, you know, two hours of eating, 22 hours of fasting. It's just not the case. We know we still get benefit from a 14 hour fast. So that's the first thing then what would be the actual goal of doing fast and exercise? Is it because you've heard some bro science that you're going to burn more fat efficiently? And what quite interestingly, there seems to be um, conflicting research on it. So people, it's not about having a fasted cardio session. It's about their total calorie consumption, which is why they're either weight losing weight or gaining weight. So fasting doesn't seem to ramp up fat burning more efficiently. Um, what we do know is if you have protein before exercise, then you have the building blocks in there to be able to create the building blocks in the muscle afterwards to recover appropriately. So if you're fasted, you haven't got that. So for strength training, you definitely don't want to fast. Um If you wanted to boost the health benefit and you were really robust and you were really strong and the stress levels were low, you could add a kind of bit of fasted cardio in the morning. It just depends what you're trying to do it for, I guess. So my take home is fasting can be good, depending on your stress levels. It doesn't seem to have a profound effect on fat burning overall for fasting in cardio. That seems to be about calories in, calories out. So your overall calorie consumption. So it's just really working out what person wants to do it for what reason, and then applying the approach that's appropriate, if that makes sense.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, as we know, and we've discussed already, it is a very much an individualized approach, isn't it? So there's no one size fits all.
1: Yeah, it's also a bit of bro science, you know, like things. <laughs> when you look at the blue zones, they're really inspirational, but they don't look like, high, like half of the Instagram models you see out there that are kind of pushing forward ideas of fasted cardio. Mm-hmm. So if we come back to the fact that we could do 13 minutes of cardio five times a week, not fasted, and get the results we want, you know, do we need to fast for that period is my, is my question. And then if you do, there's going to be a real reason for it. So I think it's more about embedding good nutrition first and not restricting. Adding some intermittent fasting overnight as a separate entity is a great idea if you want to get health outcomes, but then combining them can be detrimental if you're highly stressed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's better to, to to seek out the advice you know, uh, from somebody in the industry to kind of get sort of a tailored plan for you. Because as you say, I know a lot of people that have um, done that sort of the you know, the 16 hours, they might stop eating at 6pm and then, you know, not eat again till 10am and they've had really good results. But as you say, that might not work for everybody. So it's about finding out what works for you and working with somebody to help you get those results, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess look, I've been doing body transformations for a very long time from elite athletes, to people that just want to lose body fat and get really muscly as well, as well as health outcomes. And I've always got a result doing it without extreme fasted cardio. Mm-hmm. So that's my kind of, that's my take home as being a coach doing this and applying it to high level people is we don't do it generally, and yeah. with athletes we we may do it for a month away from competition to get some health benefits, but then sometimes the blood show that they're actually going to overtraining markers, so it's having a detriment to their physiology. So we pull them back and put protein back in the mornings.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for explaining that. It's a very, very interesting topic, and I know that sort of question does come up a lot for many yes. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, now, are there any specific nutrients the body needs when exercising, or specific foods that people should be eating?
1: Yeah, no, I think nutrition's huge, huge topic with exercise, um, and I think exercise one thing, and then we could bring it back to stress as well, which is the big thing for us. Is Trying to navigate stress responses. What we do know now is there are certain nutrients that seem to upregulate a thing called NRF2, NERF2. And NERF2 seems to push our own body's antioxidant response. So it's ARE, antioxidant response element. And if you create more of these antioxidant responses within the body, as well as supplying these these kind of compounds, these phytonutrients, then your body is actually better at reducing stress. Now, I'll give you an example of this. If we have athletes and we're pushing them into a period where we're training them really hard, so say Ben's got the Grenadier cycling team and they're going to block a training where we know we're going to apply lots of stress, then if we over-nutrition them almost, so if we give them more plant compounds, more proteins, more colorful foods, they actually manage that stress better. So what we do is we we test their stress levels. I, I mentioned the stress test we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at a, a byproduct of stress in the cells called hydroperoxides, and it's a stable molecule we can monitor in the blood. And then we look at the antioxidant levels in their bodies, and that's from what they're producing themselves and what they're eating. And what we show is as we push them into a hard period training, if we over them, that stress level stays the same. So they manage manage that cellular stress and the antioxidant levels go up, which seem to be doing the, the balancing or the buffering. And that's really what's happening is there's a kind of balance and buffering of stress from the antioxidant system to this reactive oxygen species. So yeah, key nutrients, there's, there's lots of them. I guess the main thing is it's getting small amounts of them all the time in your diet. And I, this is how... I look at it on a science perspective. If we took the, the small compounds, say we took something like uh, blueberries, and we know that they've got some amazing effects. So these, these compounds called anthocyanins in blueberries have an amazing effect on the body where they upregulate the antioxidant system, provide the building blocks that reduce stress. But this can be in a six-week trial and it might be in a petri dish, where it might show a short-term outcome. If we go back to the blue zones, and we look at these people that are living over a hundred and, and running around the place having fun, they have small amounts of all these compounds every day of their life. So eighty percent, eighty percent, sorry, eighty percent, the majority of them they're omnivorous; so they can eat a conclusive diet: meat, fish, vegetables, but they eat a huge amount of plant foods. So when you look at the large scale, um, community studies, they call them epidemiology. This is much more compelling for us because it means these people have been eating like this for a hundred years and it's a much more, uh, it's a much easier way of looking at how nutrition is playing out scientifically in the body. And it seems to be these plant compounds, um, with adic- adequate amounts of proteins, uh, lots of fibers and grains seems to be the thing that's, that's pushing longevity in there. So yeah phytonutrients are
0: the key they are and as you say it's um having that that range of nutrients because i think we're all probably guilty of just eating the same fruit and vegetables every day day in day out and it's about sort of having that that color rainbow isn't it eating what's in season making sure you know you're trying to have organic wherever possible um and if you can grow things in your garden and get it straight out of the ground and on your plate that's even better so It's about, yeah, just increasing your range of phytonutrients, I think, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I guess I I take a a slightly different view in that the ultimate optimal would be that you'd be farming your own food, eating it fresh, it'd be wholly organic. And then I also have the view that some people just can't afford or don't have the time to do any of that. So I kind of create the very low-cost, low-intervention outcomes for people that don't have the money or the time to try and get them into it. Mm-hmm. And then I build optimum over time. And some people just aren't into food. So if they are, I just try and get them to do a smoothies, try and get some of these vital nutrients in there. So I take a very practical view at starting the process and then try and get them into sprouting their own broccoli sprouts by the end of it.
0: Absolutely.
1: And that's really, imp- that's really important. But we know that if government guidelines are kind of five, five bits of fruits and vegetables, it's more likely to be 10 that's required. And it's not just fruit and vegetables. These compounds are in fruits, vegetables, spices, herbs, olive oils. So it's a real mix and matrix of this stuff that makes it work. I'll give you you a little example. If you take broccoli, it's got some amazing ingredients in it. And one of the outcomes is you get a thing called sulforaphane, which really boosts the antioxidant system. But if you cook it, you pretty much lose the value of its nutrient value straight away. Now, if you blanched it and put mustard seed powder and olive oil with it, you are making it 20 times more bioavailable, and the sulforaphane outcomes in your bodies are much more likely to get the benefits if you do that because it's a fat-soluble molecule, so olive oil is helping it be absorbed, and the mustard powder makes it even more absorbable by the body, so it m- makes it more bioavailable. So there's tricks as well you can do with nutrition. Yeah, this is good. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. so food combining is really important, like mixing the foods up. Like Look at the Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet reduces all cause mortalities, all death rates, by 10%. That's just by eating foods. And all they do is just eat it every day. And olive oil is a key component along with those colorful compounds.
0: No, absolutely. And as you say, it's about what's doable for people. It's the same on the exercise front. It's the same on the dietary front. It's just some people have budget issues or time issues. So it's about, you know, what's, what's going to work because, you know, we want it to be achievable. So smoothies are great. You know, you can chuck it all in and people can, you know, drink that on the way to work as they're racing out the door kind of thing. So, yeah. um, So yeah, smoothies are brilliant.
1: I use it as a prophylactic, I guess, would be the case, is that if we go back to the start of the conversation, we are all living very high-performance lifestyles, and it would be ideal for us to eat three amazing meals a day. And I've worked towards that, but it's taken me you know 20 years of research to get to that point. So as long as we start with with the kind of feeling that we've got to build up a high-performance nutrition approach to to actually – balance out that stress and keep us high performing both mentally and physically and then start with something practical and then build up the diet stuff as you build the knowledge to be able to cook apply it and uh, and like it
0: absolutely great advice so gideon just to finish off what's the one key takeaway from today your biggest piece of advice for anyone who wanted to use exercise to manage stress
1: big question
0: <laughs> what do
1: we go for the bang for buck well, look, if we finish where we started, if we look at the iceberg, the top of the iceberg, if you look at the work that I do with Aiden and Ben, if we're dealing with high-performing individuals, we measure their stress levels first before we look at anything else. So before we look at exercise, before we look at nutrition, we check out how stress playing out in their cells and once we've got that then we can start addressing what's appropriate for that athlete to keep them high performing mentally and physically and usually there is a component of reducing stress in there so i think the three pillars of that would be stress reduction which would come from you know easy simple fixes like sleep and good nutrition nutrition so building up colorful plant compounds in your diet and then exercise and moderate and finding something that's right for you i mean we We know actually, this is quite interesting, on the nutrition side of things, the Kairos Nutrition, we looked at actually a lot of supplements out there we looked at because we know actually as a population group we're deficient because of the soil, uh, et cetera, in certain key nutrients that are major players in our antioxidant system like selenium. You know, it's deficient in our soil. So trying to get these in regularly is really important. We actually developed a supplement because of it because it's missing out there at the moment. But I think getting those key nutrients in regularly is really important. So sum it off, I think reducing stress is number one and then getting some moderate exercise in there, improving diet over time and, uh, and finding things that help you do that that you really enjoy. So great food, exercise you find fun is the real key.
0: Absolutely. And just talk to us about a few more of those nutrients. So you said selenium, I'm assuming zinc as well.
1: Yes, I mean the the major the major players really are I guess that you have if you look at it in terms of identity, you look at kind of um the vitamins, minerals are really key, all of them all the time. From B's to Cs, um A's. Then you look at your minerals, hugely important like selenium, iodine, uh magnesium leached when you're stressed okay so all these key minerals very very important magnesium on a simple level relaxes muscle so we know if people have got things like gut problems or stress problems they leach magnesium so that's also a key mineral and then we look at these polyphenols these are the these are plant compounds that are highly colorful and it's really a, a kind of matrix of those along with essential fatty acids because they help the cells communicate well. The matrix of those together that create a great outcome for reducing stress in the cells. Um, it's one of the things we looked at to combine within our supplement because it's really important. It's, it's kind of missing. We actually have tested quite a lot of people for fatty acid ratios. If omega-3, which is found in oily fish, for instance, is low in the diet, we know they got higher stress in the cells. Um, so just trying to balance those ratios is really important as well. So, yeah, key nutrients.
0: Yeah, you can always get your omega-3 from like flaxseed oil or flaxseeds and chia as well, can't you?
1: Yeah, so you, I mean, it's multiple sources. Algae is actually a good source, um, which you can get, get ideal sources from. Um, but, yeah, essential in the diet.
0: Well, great advice. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us today. It's been fantastic. And I know it's going to help so many of our listeners. So where can people find more information about you, Gideon, and the work you do?
1: You can look me up on uh, Kairos Project's website, uh, which is literally as it sounds, it's K-Y-R-O-S Project. Or you can look me up on Kairos Nutrition, same spelling, K-Y-R-O-S-Nutrition.com. And also my Instagram page for it's uh, Linesman Love is a bit of a a look into exercise and nutrition on a daily basis and some funny um, infographics and collages of meat in a bowl of blueberries. And that's that's at Gideon J. Renfrey. So yeah, feel free to follow and heckle.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. It's been absolutely amazing and a pleasure to, to speak to you today.
1: You too, Michelle. Thanks for your time.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Gideon for sharing his wealth of knowledge with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Gideon in the show notes on the CNN website at www.cnmpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about nutrition and healthy living, check out CNN's range of short courses and comprehensive diploma training. We have a series of open events coming up and you can find all the details on the CNN website at www.naturopathy-uk.com under the events section.